What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Oh, Glenn, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was just out there training. Where have you been? I was out there training my dog. What took you so long? Well, we were doing this particular scenario mm-hmm. where we were using a hard dog chomp. Yep. I got that from Canon Dynamics, by the way. From old mate Mark LaPointe? Mark LaPointe. Yep. Yeah. I got uh, I get a lot of my working dog equipment from him. He really flogs some good stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Canon Dynamics. Yeah. And then my dog was attached to a leash and collar. Where did you get that from? I got that from Mindswick Dog Quip. Not the old bullfed. I got it from Jason. Oh. <laughs> okay. Mindswick Dog Quip. Mindswick Dog Quip. And, and it all went perfectly. Yep. So I- Had you reward the dog? I, I'm very interested. Well, aside from the bites on the chomp, mm-hmm. but, you know, for other things, yep. I gave the dog some bright bites. Oh, good call. Yep. Bright bite. You really are a name dropper, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> You've got the best of the three. You've got the golden triad right there. Absolutely. Mm. If you want, you know, if you're in North America and you want working dog equipment, yep. Canon Dynamics. Yep. If you're in Australia and you want any kind of dog equipment, Ironswick Dog Quip. And if you're going to use dog treats, you're crazy if you're feeding your dog anything other than bright spots. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and joined in studio today with me is Bertie O'Sheedy. Hello. In place of Mr. Pat Stewart, who unfortunately couldn't be here with us today because Ramco is not well, so he had to stay home with him, which was the right choice to make. However, we also have, joining us from Maine in the USA, we have our show favourite back on again, Mr. Jay Jack. Woohoo! Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Thanks for joining us, mate. First and foremost... How are things going over there for you guys during this crazy time? <laughs> yeah, man, things are things are difficult. The gym, my main source, my main business, like they mandatorily closed it. Uh, it's been closed for three and a half months or something like that. Mm. Oh, wow. um, it just now said we could reopen, but the restrictions are insane. It's like, you know, everybody's got to be 15 feet apart. Uh, because we're exercising, so they increase the distance from six to fifteen feet. Oh. Uh, we're only supposed to have—I mean, I've got like five spots on the mat where people can stand, and they have to be in their little area. And we had to change the layout of the building to make a an entrance, a separate entrance and exit. And there's one-way marker stickers on the floor. It's just like it's crazy. It puts us in a position where we can service probably fifteen percent of our client base, mm. which oh, is not. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been now thinking. That we're technically back open. The landlord's like, sweet, you're open. Rent goes back to full price. And let's talk about back rent. And you're like, dude, settle down. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've been thinking so. about you guys extensively because you're in a position where you got a double dose of it because the gym industry got smashed all over the world, pretty much. And also the dog yeah. industry got smashed. And they're, they're two of your main incomes. Well, that's the thing. Like the in person gym is the first 
like pillar, it's like the largest percentage. And then seminar circuit is probably the second largest percentage. Mm. And then in-person private lessons and then like online consults or whatever. But like it literally took like all of those off the top gym clothes, seminars all canceled, it, private online, like private in-person lessons canceled. Like it was like one sixteenth of <laughs> whatever the math is, you know, but, uh, but it's good, man. Like it's annoying. It's for sure annoying, but like we are durable. Like we're not going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like the gym's not going to close. Like the gym, the gym will never go anywhere. And like when this comes back, the seminars will pick back up. Like I'm not stressed, you know, it's, I'm annoyed, but I'm not stressed. But the, the crazy thing for me is that everything you do is not just about the primary service. It's also for people's mental health. And I'm like, you know, yeah. like people who are attracted to you and your services, usually they are people who had quite a tough life, you know, like they're not just coming for to get their exercise hormones going. They they come for more. It's it's a holistic service you're offering. Mm. So um, imagine that the your community that, The fact hurts. that I'm not considered essential drove me nuts. I imagine. Like, like I, I was know, just that thinking that. Ridiculously I'm ridiculously like, to say. It's not. But. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that it is really an essential service. Because of the points that you just made, Bertie, is that people are feeling so stressed out about things at the moment. Like, I, I get it. I understand that we've got to be socially distant. And, yeah, I understand you know, that too. The, the, the issue with the virus is how contagious it actually is. Like, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we get the flu and we have this and so forth. But the issue that we have is this thing is spread like wildfire. Like, the rapid rate of this thing getting around the world is just crazy. However, you know, we've still got to live as human beings as well. And what's happened to us and the way that it's socially isolated us from each other, it's not so bad now, but during that time, it's something that nobody knew the answer to. Everybody was reaching out to everybody else going, what do we do? How are we supposed to manage this? And everyone's saying, well, you know, I I haven't had a, a test run at this before, so I don't know. The governments were scrambling, business owners were scrambling, you know, our own health experts were scrambling. The rules were changing every day. Taxes were changing every day. Incomes were changing every day. I mean, we it was very difficult for all of us to get it right. So it was a very stressful time and, and a time where people needed a hug or needed a some bro time or some family love. We couldn't get it from each other. So it added impact to what we we're already going through around the world. It's been very difficult. It was super frustrating for me because of literally, so like weed is legal in Maine. And so like across the parking lot from me is a weed shop. So like I'm closed because it's like non-essential. Yeah. Right? And there is a fucking crowd at the weed store, <laughs> like a line out the door. I can imagine got music playing in the oh, parking wow. lot. Like their business quadrupled you know what i mean like mm. they're killing it they're like they're the only industry that went up during this period or whatever you know maybe delivery or something but it's like i'm standing because i'm lifting weights at my gym because that's where i lift right so i'm like sitting in this fucking building with the lights off <laughs> just doing my workout by myself all sad and there's this gigantic group of people at the weed store <laughs> just, just so unreal pissed. yeah it, I did so, so pissed. Now. I'm like, so I'm not essential, but you got to get your pot brownies. Like, okay, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I got people that are, man, we have people that use our gym. Again, it's like exercise is the lowest benefit. Like, if you add up all the benefits people get from our place, like physical exercise and weight loss is like the lowest, right? We have people that are battling serious mental issues that mm. that use our gym as therapy. We have people that are you know, dealing with addictions that use our gym as their AA meeting. You know what I mean? Like 
it is life altering and life affirming for a lot of people. Like it turned my mm-hmm. life around. I'd be dead without it. Right. And there's a lot of people that are like that, but people don't see it like that. They see, yeah, listen, dude, you can like, you can go outside and jump up and down and get your heart rate up. So you don't need to go to the gym. But it's the community that the whole package, you know, like that's it. And I was, I was sorry that I interrupted, but I just had a conversation before I came here with my neighbor whose daughter nearly died in hospital on the weekend. And she couldn't Mm. say goodbye to her because, um, of the restrictions. And I understand (sighs) that. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but I'm just saying people are hurting and, the mental health impact this has is incredible. So for me that people can't go to people as a resource like your gym, I find that really challenging to deal with. Like Mm. I don't have the answers for it. I'm not saying this is what you should do, but I'm like we need to have a talk about this. Yeah, we do. It's big. Well, the other thing that was very – I think was very difficult for people to comprehend and Jay touched on it before was that there's a a crowd that's allowed to develop around these other – essential services and I'm doing the inverted comma fingers, but you know, like the the local hardware stores were allowed to remain open and people were flooding into there. Like I went in there at the peak crisis time of, of the pandemic, you go in there and there's people everywhere and you're thinking to yourself, well, they're picking things up from the shelf and they're putting things down and they're touching things and they're moving around the store. And I mean, yes, they did control, you know, the ins and outs of them, but there was still a hell of a lot of people in there and then supermarkets, People were going in there in absolute panicked masses, picking things up from the shelf, putting them back. You know, people are touching them while they're packing shelves. People are moving things around. And you're thinking, how can this be? How can it be that you can completely close down businesses and yet other businesses? Yeah, I know the whole, you know, argument essential, non-essential and so forth, but I don't believe that exercise is non-essential. I don't believe that some of these places should have been crippled the way that they were. But again, like I said before, that the issue for all of us was we've never had a test run at this. Nobody knew what to do and everybody was just scrambling and thinking, well, the problem is we don't know how violent this pandemic is going to become. We don't know what the death rate is going to become, but what we do know is the infection rate is off the charts. Like the way that Mm. it's spread all over the world. Like, yeah, I know the flu is a lot of people die from the flu and they die from a lot of other things as well. But this pandemic, you know, like it's in 188 countries and it just went crack within a couple of months. It had spread pretty much three quarters around the globe. So, you know, it really did put a lot of people in a hurt locker and there are a lot of people that have suffered and are still suffering over this. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in six months, a year, two years from now. We just got to, hope that the people who are looking into developing vaccines or preventatives or measures that we can we can reduce this and get back to what we consider a normal way of life or we have to adapt what we know is a normal way of life to a new way of life yeah as long as uh i mean it's good that it's coming back like the gym like tonight we had you know i mean controlled of course and there's only people have to arrive in their group and their group has to stay isolated from any other group like their household group can train together and then you know what i mean things like that like there's a bunch of restrictions that make it super annoying but Mm -hmm. it's still now i get to teach you know what i mean even if it's like your three people have to stay 15 feet away from these three people and there's separate changing air like it's a huge pain like I'm in the room, they're in the room, people see one another, even if it's from a distance, they see one another, they get to train, they get to teach, like, 
it's there. It's it's back. It's just yes. you know modified or whatever, but it's back, which yeah. is important. I, I think know? that's what we have to focus on. I think it's really important that we kind of look at the solution right now and go like, hey, these are the vulnerabilities, but now we know them, we've identified them, now we need to make them work moving forward. Yep. Because it is what it is. And I think it's so good how you just phrased it that you go like, okay, it is a pain in the ass, but at least we get to do something like that feel of community and flay, you know, family and wholesomeness that you have, that you don't give up because I think a lot of people want to give up right now and just go like, screw it. Well, it's forced at you. Nobody's ever described my place as wholesome. <laughs> oh, your place. I mean, yeah, I backed that up totally. This is, I'd choose that word again. <laughs> it's very wholesome. Do you disagree? Well, Do you think it's not? I Listen, all I know is that about a couple of years ago, somebody started a Facebook page that was called Shit My Coach Says. And all they did was just put quotes from me. And it was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> Mandy was like, listen, out of context, this is not okay. Like, if you know you, it's one thing, but like, I take it out of context, this is really bad. Like, we should probably stop this. And I was like, oh, man. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know that wholesome has ever been used <laughs> to describe me. Well, I don't know your That's definition what... of wholesome, but my definition of wholesome is like, multifaceted it's good for me i will develop and i will prosper oh, <laughs> so. okay. like yeah okay like holistic or something okay wholesome to me sounds like what you call fresh baked bread or like do you know yeah um, I yeah i make a lot of terrible terrible innuendos you've seen me teach you know what i'm talking about well, you're also talking to someone who came three times to your seminar. Sorry, I like it. <laughs> um. There is a place for non-politically correct people in this world, Jay, and I, I certainly appreciate you coming into my life because I find it frustrating how restrained people are from being able to talk their mind and you're not like that. And you don't do it to hurt people or offend them. You just You just do you. You know, I can't speak for anyone else. I'm only speaking for myself. But I think that a lot of times why people are attracted to your method and style is not only because it's it's very informative and you do put a lot of work into what you're producing, but you also are unrestricted in how you act and behave. And you don't, like I said, you don't do it to offend people. You don't do it to hurt their feelings. You just do you. And that's really uncommon these days. It's just a, not a characteristics that you generally see in, in a lot of people. It's People put on a lot of masks in life because they're forced into being a person or acting a certain way to appease the crowd. Mm. But I also like, I don't do it to offend and I don't do mm. it whatever, but I also don't do it to get anything. It's not an yep. intentional, this is going to get me attention. Like I just decided a long time ago that I was going to be me and like never let anything get in the way of that. And if it costs something, then great. And if it like, I don't, but I don't, I like, I, I refuse to take into account economics. <laughs> like I just won't do it. Like if it makes everybody hate me, so be it. And if it makes everybody love me, then I care just as little about that. Like I'm not trying to get a result. I'm just going to be me. Like that's what I got to do. Mm. Yeah, it reminds you know? me of to saying um, as above, so below, as without, so within. Like you just stay oh, true. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know who said it, but it's an old saying, like it's a very wise saying. And I'm like, that's when you know who you are because you just centered. There's a, you know, there, there's, there's a quote. I have a bunch of quotes that I'm a quote machine, but there's a quote that really affected me when I was a kid, like super affected me. 
uh, and it's Bruce Lee, which is kind of cheesy because I know Bruce Lee is, you know, martial arts movie guy or whatever, but he actually was very into philosophy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Right. But there was a quote that I read of his when I was young that really tripped me. And you'll have to excuse the the gender specificity because that part's stupid, but I'm going to do the actual quote. And it says, uh, freedom finds man the moment he loses concern over the impression he is or is about to be making. Mm. And that to me was like, there it is. Like freedom is not caring about the impression, like whether it's good or bad. I don't care. I, yeah. I can't allow myself to care. You know, yeah. like good or bad. Like mm. it's like I can't go like this is going to get some likes or this is going to make people not like me. Like I can't care about that. I just have to put myself out there and not worry about it. Like let the chips fall where they're going to fall, like good or bad. I don't care. Like yeah. I just got to do what I got to do. That's a really interesting point. There was a podcast on a while ago and I cannot remember whether it was Rogan or someone else where it was talking about how addicted people are to likes and they will do and become anything they need to do. Like they pretty much become a performing chimp so they can get more validation and more likes. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, their dopamine jackpot now is watching social media to see how many people are liking what they're posted on. And I would be reluctant to say that I haven't done the same sort of thing. Like I've put up a validation post because I'm thinking, oh, I need some love today. So, you know, I might go <laughs> to my friends that I've never met on social media before and see if they love me. If people say, oh, I don't do that, I think you have to have a good look at yourself if you're on social media and you're not doing it. But um, I get so pissed off. Like when I post something and that starts that, I get really angry and I'll like say, I go back and edit my post. And I go, this is not, a th stop saying that. Like this is not a thing. I took my birthday off of Facebook because I would get mad. Like with the 55 people that are like, happy birthday, brother, I get angry. I'm like, shut up. Like, <laughs> like yeah, there's a, do you, you know what I mean? Like, where the fuck were you yesterday? Like, where the, like you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't want your false attention and your, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want you like, here's a good excuse for me to say something to the guy. So he retweet, relikes, whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I just don't dude. If you, if you have my cell phone number, fucking write me and tell me happy birthday. And if you don't, there's probably a reason. Like, I don't give a fuck that you think it's my, like, I don't need your happy birthday. I don't want a thousand happy birthdays. I really don't, <laughs> you know? It reminds me of a saying from Baba Ramdas, and he says, to become somebody, you have to be nobody. Oh, you're really pulling out the quotes today. Am I? Yeah. Oh, we're, oh. We're gonna have quote so let's do this. Oh, I'm done for today, though. <laughs> I don't think I have I know, this is just like without your quote moment. No, but no, it yeah, just resonates yeah. because it, it. I talk um, at the moment. I'm in this place where I have to be true to myself, and part of that is that you shared what people care about your percep the perception yes. that you're learning to be misunderstood, mm. right? So, and I that's just resonated with what you guys were saying. That's really good. Yeah, thank you. There's a there is a really good quote that I like, and and it's a life defining quote, and I'm going to do it injustice because I can't remember the integrity of the entire quote because it goes on for quite some time, but it's by an author called Alfred D'Souza. Oh. And he talks about how in life we're always thinking, you know, like once I get over this hurdle, life's going to begin for me, you know, like real life. I'm going to start experiencing the joys of life because, you know, I've got this thing that's, that's happened to me, this problem, this bill that I've got to pay, this debt that's got to be sorted out. And then once I get through that, 
I'm going to start enjoying life. And then he goes on to say, and then once I realized and, and reflected on it, I realized that this was my life. You know, this is part of life. The ebbs and flows are a, a part of normal life. You can't get through one thing and then think it's going to be clear sailing from here because there's always going to be a sunny day and there's always going to be a storm. And that's just part of how the weather works or how life plays out for you. So that was a life defining moment for me because I used to think that like that a lot, you know, like I'm in a a sticking point or a hurdle in life, but once I get through this, it's all going to be sorted out for me, but it never happens like that. You've just got to understand that things will be great. And then there's going to be a problem. You've got to resolve that and work through it. And then things will be great again. And that's just the the ebb and flow of how life plays out for most people that, that I've ever met. Anyway, this yeah. didn't become the philosophy podcast <laughs> or the pandemic podcast, as Pat would say. I'm stealing his thunders today because he's not here. I we am actually getting my stress ball to mimic him. Yeah, you got to squeeze that stress ball. <laughs> so what um, what I did want to talk about, we actually had a topic in mind, and Jay, Pat, and I had a a brief conversation the other day, which is why I wanted the brains trust of you guys joining me in this conversation because we talked about in a couple of episodes ago about people who are being bitten and there was a lot of messages going backwards and forwards and I received probably more private messages from people than I have about a lot of shows that we've put to air. I always have good conversations with people but these were really like these were coming out of the woodwork. People were sharing Mm. very vulnerable conversations with me about how devastated they were when they got bitten by their dog and they were really pleased that we sort of opened up a forum that they could feel a little bit of kinship with people who have experienced the same sort of thing. And although I've never been bitten badly before, I have been in a fight before and I've been hurt in a fight and I I understand that. And then Jay, you and I had a conversation about this and I'm going to let you talk about it in your own words so you can share your experience if you're comfortable doing so. But I really appreciated the conversation you and I had and I thought, this would be a good measure for other people to understand it because your background is that you've been a professional fighter. You know, you're quite a strong guy. You're involved in your own Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym over there in Maine. You're also involved in dog training. You've been around with some pretty heavy-duty rescue dogs. And as I said, I really appreciated you sharing your story and I think it would be a great thing to discuss online with the, the listeners. Well, I mean, that the, the thing that we were talking about when I heard you guys talking about recovering from a dog bite and like mentally recovering from a dog bite. Like how do you go back in and perform again? Mm. And that's something that's like really part of my head, not necessarily with dog bites, but with overcoming being damaged. Mm. Um, so I fought professionally for a long time and this is part of what happens. Almost everybody that comes to me. So the sad fact about most people in self-defense is you don't really seek it out until you think you need it. But what made you think you need it also damaged you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like no, most people are not like, you know, what would be really good is if I like diets, like nobody really goes on a, on a diet until they're overweight. Like nobody goes, you know, I'm going to do a preventative nutrition plan. <laughs> like that's pretty rare. It's usually like, Holy shit, look what happened to me. I need to go on a diet. They do it after the fact. Right. Mm. So most of the people that come to me, to learn self-defense, uh, have experienced something that made them aware of the fact that they needed to learn self-defense. So I'm not just teaching them skills. Mm. I'm also trying to build their brain Mm -hmm. because they are quite certain that they can't survive. They're quite certain that they can't put up a good fight. You know what I mean? They they have evidence to the contrary, the time that they froze or the time that they tried but failed, Mm. you know? And, uh, as a fighter, like I experienced that I got, I got knocked out first time I'd ever been knocked out and it was, 
emotionally, like mentally debilitating, not emotionally, it was mentally debilitating. Mm. Like it took me a good two years to not have a deep seated belief that I had a complete glass jaw and just like a strong wind would knock me out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like it took, it took years to get over that. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I had had decades. I mean, that happened when I was in my thirties, maybe. No, it, yeah, like maybe late twenties, early thirties. So I had already had 25 years of smashing people and never being knocked out. Like it's not, it was like single learning event at its finest. Yep. Wow. I had a shit ton of evidence to the contrary. And then one day somebody touched me in just the right way. And I went to sleep and woke up and went, okay, I have no jaw. Like that's the term in fighting. You mm. you like, yeah, if you have a good jaw, jaw you yep. take a punch. Right. So like, I was just, I woke up and went, okay, I have absolutely no jaw, like none. Like I, a butterfly fart will knock me out. Like I'm dead. Like anybody that touches me is going to kill me. Like I am going to die. And it took me, I mean, two years, at least another, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 fights to get past that. Mm. You know, how did you overcome it, Jay? Like if we're sort of edging towards the end of that conversation, which we're not, we're not fast tracking it, but how did you claw your way out of it? Like what was the endurance path that you had to go through? So, I mean, and this is with dog bites, this is with mm. uh, knocked out, this is with any of those things. Like, I think that there is kind of a multifaceted approach, like with anything, right? Like mm. the, you can't just fix one issue. It brings up a couple of things. Mm. One is like the fear of the unknown. If you don't understand how something occurred, you will be scared of it. So, you know what I mean? So like, uh, with a dog bite, it's what led to the bite. What were the signs that led to the bite? Like Chad always has this, Chad has this analogy where he says the guys that work on those high power voltage lines mm. aren't scared every day. The reason they're not scared is because they know don't touch this to this, do this first. Like they're following a process that they understand. So they're not constantly in fear. I don't know the process. So if I had to handle those wires, I'd be terrified, mm. but it's because I don't understand the process. So like, a lot of times when something terrible happens to you, you are not aware, like you don't understand the process. Like the punch I got knocked out with, the, the situation that led to the punch or the situation that led to the bite or the warning signs before the dog bit you or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you weren't familiar with them, which is how you wound up in that bad spot in the first place. If you understood and were skillful, you wouldn't have wound up there. Do you know what I mean? Like you yeah, would have seen some knowledge. signs ahead of time. You had some techniques in the bank to be able to deal with it, you know, not wouldn't have. I mean, there's extreme examples where you can do everything right and still shit just go sideways. Like I'm not victim blaming, but when you are in a situation like that, very often it's your lack of experience or understanding or preparation that puts you in the, the worst of the way. Right. And so it's like, first thing is you really have to study the situation that you were in and get a firm understanding. So, you know, this, these are the signs that this is coming because if I can understand what, when it's coming and what, when it potentially could happen, I have a better chance of avoiding it or mitigating it or whatever. And then there's a, the technical aspect of like, I've got to learn how to deal with this now that I know this is coming. What could I do about that? So if there was a technical error, like I tried to do this and it did not work, I need to work on that. Or I had an idea for what would work and it failed. So what are the ideas that are successful? Like I need to examine what could be done better about my procedures that could help me in that situation. So it's mm -hmm. like, you have to understand how it actually happened and then learn ways to mitigate and deal with it there. 
But then you get into like dog training principles at that point. Like, it's cool that, you know, what to do. Like, it's cool that you want, you have a cognitive understanding. You could write a script for how to deal with it, but you still can't handle it. Mm. So like me, it was a whole bunch of like, I do this thing with people because people come in and they're just terrified of getting hit. And they're, they're, they're so terrified of getting hit because they've never been punched and they don't know what it is. And you can't really just fucking haul off and smack them in the face. So they get <laughs> used to it. Like you can't really do that. But I'll do this thing where it's like, it's just like dog training. It's like you break the criteria down. We're going to do desensitization. Mm. Yeah. So this is just a straight, I do a straight desensitization protocol. I take boxing gloves and I turn them over. I turn them backwards. So they're not aiming at the person, which would look like the picture of hands coming at you, which they're scared. They have this image in their head, like hands coming at me are bad. Yep. But if you turn the boxing yep. gloves over, so it's the back of the gloves, they've never had that visualization before. The back of a boxing glove is not that scary. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'll literally, they just have their hands down and I take the gloves and I just rub their face. I'm not hitting them. I'm rubbing their face, one hand, other hand. And there's nothing in the glove. I'm holding them in my hands like big stupid mittens and they're empty. And I just rub their face <laughs> until they stop going <laughs> and like making that bitter beer face, like the lemon face. Like <laughs> when they stop doing that, when they're just like accepting this with no emotional content and I'm rubbing the glove down their face. And then when they get to the point where they can accept that, then I turn the glove over and I use the other part and my hand's not in it. So we successively approximate. My hand is not in it, but it's now the part of the glove that's like a little scarier looking. Mm. And I rub their face with that. And then I put my hands inside the gloves and continue to do the rubbing. And then I make small, like slow motion contact where I'm not rubbing, I'm kind of pressing their face. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of touch their face and then I'll do things where I am making boxing movements and I'm touching them, but I'm not creating impact so they can get used to seeing it. And then I have them, you know what I mean? But like mm. we, we literally start with straight up desensitization. You take the criteria that they're scared of, you break it into smaller parts, you get it down to the point where they can tolerate it. And then you successively approximate it up to closer and closer and closer to the idea of the thing that they're scared of. Yep. You know, yep. it's yep. just straight desensitization. Like that's not, miracle science but you have to do that right that without a plan wouldn't be good because if i just did that you're like cool now you're not that scared but you still don't know how to deal with it mm. so then you would have the mental fear of like well it's good that i'm not that scared of the way it looks to touch my face but i still have no fucking plan so like the, you can't do them independently you can't train the idea of how to deal with it like the the tactics of how to deal with it but not the emotion and you can't deal with the emotion of it and not the tactics you mm. have to do them both to be able to do it. And then at a certain point, all that shit's well and good, but at a certain point, you're going to have to get a little bit philosophical. You know, the serenity prayer, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, yep. It's ripped off from Stoics, right? But like that Epictetus is the guy that originally said it and mm -hmm. the, the Christians stole it from, but it's like that, like control what you can and accept what you can't and spend your time figuring out which one's which, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, that's the abridged serenity prayer, but it's like, at some point you're going to have to do that because you can have a plan. You can understand it. You can counter condition yourself. But then the problem is if you're so scared of the end result, you're not going to be okay because you just, you're just not going to make it like you're going to be so obsessed about hoping it doesn't happen. Like you're going to look at the, like the race car analogy, like you're going to look at the wall. You can't look at the wall. You'll drive right into it. Like, you know, if you're mm -hmm. golfing, you're not supposed to look at the water trap. You know what I mean? You can't look, you can't put all of your focus on yep. this result and then not have it pull you towards that result. Yeah. It's yeah. same. You know it's I mean? exactly like, the same in motorbike in motorcycling as well. I mean, if you are going into a corner 
and you've, you're losing control of your bike. But if you look at the object that you're going to crash into instead of trying to navigate yeah. your way out of it, yeah. instead of leaning away and trying to look into a new direction, sometimes you can recover and control the bike and you can steer out of the collision. But if you're fixated on the object, 90% of the time you'll hit the object. Yeah, you're going to run right into it. Mm. Yeah, and that's the thing. So it's like, I mean, I think it's kind of a three-pronged approach. Like I think you have to understand the thing and – develop tactics based on full understanding of what it really is. I think you have to try to desensitize yourself or counter condition or whichever tactic you're going to use yep. to try to prepare the conditioned emotional mind for that moment. You can't just have a cognitive knowledge and no conditioning. Like you've got to get in because your brain's going to go, holy shit, there's the picture again and mm-hmm. freak out. So like you have to do the desensitization. You have to do the conditioning, uh, the mental conditioning. And then there's some part of it where you just have to, at some point, you're going to have to be okay with the outcome. You know what I mean? There's an old, like a samurai philosophy, like the idea of you're not going to fight well if you're not okay dying, right? Like if we get into a fight, if we get into a sword fight, (laughs) like that's possible. If we get into a sword fight, there's three possibilities, right? I kill you, you kill me, we kill each other. Those are the only three possibilities. Two out of three of those outcomes involve me dying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the highest percentage chance is I die. That's what it is. But if you if you have any hope at all of getting that one third where you don't die, you can't think about the two thirds. You can't because you'll run right into that wall. Like if you're like, fuck, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. You're going to perform terribly. Mm. You have to make peace with the result. You have to make peace with the outcome. And if you make peace with the outcome, you have a chance of avoiding that outcome, but you can't obsess about it. It's like you really put them against the wall that they know their values. Like they had to do deep soul searching and go like, these are my values. This is who I am. This is no matter what the circumstances around me are, this is what I stand for. And the only thing that I'm, I'm thinking about at the moment is like, for me, this analogy works really well for dog trainers who go into this industry, but I think it feels very different for a dog owner who doesn't see this coming because it feels to more like a broken trust to me, right? Mm. Like like this to me is an art form. You're dedicating your time and your life to like I come to you to to seek this knowledge. But very often I think very people are surprised because they didn't want to spend time on it. They didn't come and say, hey, I want to put effort into it. And so for them, it feels more like a broken trust thing and not a, an, a lack of expertise or value thing. Do you know where I'm heading with this? Absolutely. And there's some poor advice and some urban myths that exist around that advice as well, because what people have been told is that once a dog bites you and it's blooded, then it can't get out of that mindset. So people will adapt to that thinking because that was, you know, that was a very 30 year ago and beyond that uh, style of belief that with it, once a dog bites you, that's it. You know, like it is, it is in a mindset that it's never going to get out of. Therefore the dog needs to be destroyed. It's like every bullshit tree starts with like a seed of truth, right? So <laughs> exactly. like that bullshit thing tree, is- I like that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Every bullshit You're like, tree. I'm taking that. I'm stealing that. I'm, I'm going to quote you, Jay. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm butcher it, but I'm still it. But yeah, like they're not wrong. I mean, they're wrong, but they're not wrong, right? Like if you get bit and you don't do the work to get past it, it is going to happen again. Yeah. But it's going to happen again. Like you're talking about like if you're on that motorcycle and you start to have speed wobbles and you start looking at the tree that you don't want to hit, that's what you're going to hit. Yeah, exactly. If you... 
if you are in a fight and you're like, oh man, I can't lose, I can't lose, I can't lose, like that's you're gonna you're gonna lose. Mm. Like you can't obsess about the negative outcome and not run into it. So if somebody's like, oh no, I got bit, and they either don't know how or are unwilling to do the work, and they don't recover emotionally it's going to present like the dog now has this crazy response because every time you get around the dog, you're going to go, fuck, don't bite me. Fuck, don't bite me. And they're a hundred percent going to go, why are you being fucking weird? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, Agreed. Don't, I don't know what, mm. like both you and the dog are looking right at that tree. You're going to hit it for sure. You're going to hit it, mm. you know? So it's like, it's wrong. It's not, they've been blooded and they can't get past it, but they are kind of right that like, you're going to have to do something significant to get past that. Most people don't understand how. So then the answer is put the dog down or get a different dog or give it away or whatever. But it's like, it's wrong, but it's, 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 it's not accurate. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I do know what you mean because the issue for a lot of people is that if the dog feels rewarded through biting, like it understands that that's a control mechanism and they can reshape their environment by controlling you through that fear asset then the problem is, is that the dog will revisit that behavior again. So the dog does need to understand that that is not an acceptable way of controlling outcomes. And that yeah. that's when a specialist needs to be involved, especially for people who are non-dog trainers and handlers, as you said before, Bert. Uh, Birdie. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Bert. Pat called you Bird last time. Yeah, it got, I get it got stuck Bird, in my head. So in that situation, I think that's where a specialist needs to be involved. They need You need counselling and piecing it together with what Jay was talking about before. This is an incremental process. This is not something that can just be over at the click of a fingers. And a lot of times, you know, like regaining that trust and being able to place yourself back in a position where you can think, you know, can I trust this dog again? Is this relationship going to fall apart or, you know, am I doomed to be bitten by this dog again? Well, that's a risk that any dog owner could be involved in. That's a risk that any of my dogs, even even having French bulldogs, I mean, in a perfect storm, they will bite you. I've heard people say this so many times and we have, as people know, the listeners of the show and, and you guys know as well, we run several very, very large boarding kennels and the amount of confidence that people put in their animals and say, oh, they never bite, they would never do this. Well, that's too much trust to be given to anybody you know that's too much trust to be given to a person to say that a person would never commit a a heinous crime or even god forbid murder or anything like that i mean that's way too much trust in a perfect storm you don't know what's going to happen but the reality is most species are, are relatively peaceful they don't put themselves in positions where they're thinking you know i want to create fuckery in people's lives ongoing. I mean, that's more about mental illness than it is about stability. And I mean, most species that I've been involved in, you know, like predators, of course, they hunt to survive and so forth. But in a normal situation, I mean, dogs, uh, the the question again, uh, and this is, you know, comes from, from Bart, is why does a dog do what it does to better its own situation? And they they don't often seek out the path of destruction. I mean, every healthy species that I'm aware of is looking for a good life. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't know if I've oversimplified that. It's, it's natural. The uh, safety by mutually assured destruction is a natural thing mm. for, for dogs. Like that, like neither one of them want to deal with the result of a fight. Yep. And so negotiations always ensue. Even even most what most people call fights are still ritualized fights. Like it's ritualized aggression. It's not true aggression. It's like this ritualized thing that they're doing to agree 
to not actually have to hurt each other <laughs> because neither one of them wants to pay the ticket. You mm. know what I mean? Like that, but that like not wanting to pay the ticket is kind of the backbone of how true violence is avoided, you know? And it's not easy to get it. It's so not natural that like you want to make a pit dog, you have to specifically selectively breed on purpose to get a propensity for gameness, like the willingness to not be concerned about the outcome of that fight, like to just move forward anyway, in spite of the fact that you're going to have to pay that ticket. Mm. And even then, even when you specifically breed for that dog, not every single dog in the litter, like not every dog that you bred for PSA is going to come out of PSA champ. Like some of the dogs in the litter don't work out. So even with dogs that you specifically breed for those traits, it still doesn't come out every single dog dead game. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. like even specifically breeding for it on purpose, it doesn't always work out and they're not game. Mm. And then the ones that are like truly, truly game are even more rare than that. Like that's why they're celebrated because it's like you got the one in a million that is actually the thing you were shooting for. But that should tell you that how hard it is, how rare it is to see that trait that, you know what I mean? It's still a smaller percentage when it's intentionally sought. It's a, it's a, it's a smaller percentage. Mm. Have both of you guys seen the movie Fight Club? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a scene in there where Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, says to the recruits he wants them to go out and get involved in a fight just to show <laughs> how hard it is to actually make people want to fight you. And they're standing on the street. It's meatloaf. And I think he's squirting people with a hose as they're walking past. And, like, nine out of ten of the people just blatantly avoid fights. And one guy finally comes back and he does this really – <laughs> sissy little back fist where he just goes blat and punches him on the face with it. Yeah. But it just goes to show that nine out of 10 times people will avoid combat. They will actively avoid actually doing it. And it's, people it's certainly been cowards. in a sense. I think you, you painted a good light before Jay, <laughs> uh, where um, some people just don't know what the feeling of getting involved in a fight is. They've never, they've never been hit or they've never hit anyone before. So you know, this, goes, it, this goes into some very deep shit because yeah. I think one of the major, major problems missing in our fucking society is we have stopped play fighting. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we stopped play fighting. Like that should be part of every child's growing up. Like the fact that no one knows what it feels like to get roughed up is negligence to me. Like to me, that's like you might as well be telling me like your kids got scurvy because they didn't get enough vitamin C. Like you're Mm. negligent. You're a negligent parent. If your kid isn't comfortable scrapping, what the fuck have you done? Like what have you done, bro? (laughs) Like to me, that's negligence. It's like it's 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 an essential part of growing up. Do you know the state of humans now? We're getting way we're going to have to go back to dog soon. But the state (laughs) of humans now, man, I can take somebody. I swear to God, I can take somebody on the side of a building and say, you jump off this building. I'm going to punch you in the fucking mouth. And I promise you nine times out of ten, they will jump. That is absurdity. That is just absolute. So they, they know what it's like to fall. Maybe not from that height, but they can go back in their mind and go, this is what it might feel like to fall. I have no idea what this beating is going to feel like. And so their brain goes, one I don't understand, one I do, and they choose the one they understand. Even though it's economically far, far, far worse. You're way more scared of something you don't understand than something you do. Every asshole understands falling. Now nobody understands a beating. And so I can make somebody jump off a building to their certain death to avoid getting punched in the face. That is absolute fucking insanity. And that is common now. 
if we're relating things back to dogs and, you know, coming from a, a breeding perspective, we've bred litters over many years and the issues that arise from having a singleton pup in a litter where it doesn't actually get that mm. playful interaction and the scrapping and the fighting and the, you know, biting each other and the pain threshold and working out how all that fits into their life and it develops neurological pathways the problems associated with singleton pups is quite extensive. I mean, you're talking about a dog that doesn't understand pain thresholds. It doesn't understand the interactions with a litter. I mean, it plays with its mum and it does what it can in its environment. And this is why it's so important that if people do have a singleton litter, if there is a uh, a surrogate litter that they can introduce that pup to, although that it is a bit stressful for the mother, it's still much better for that puppy if it's actually introduced to another litter of pups, similar age, similar size, that that dog can roll around with, interact with, they can bite each other, they can roll with each other. Because as I said, you know, it's the physical and neurological development that that's going to be seriously lacking. And when people do have these pups, Although they do do great jobs generally socialising, they do go out seeking professional advice, the dog is still going to have some issues as a developed dog because it's still missed out on that during the critical period of development. I mean, you can only make up so much in the time that you actually get the dog and you start going to puppy schools and you allow your dog to play with them. But even then people report, you know, like when they play it's not as jovial as some of when the other puppies are. There's a more sinister side of their play where they're really trying to hurt or, you know, they're retreating or they're, they're avoiding the play altogether. So it doesn't come with its downfall. Yeah. I think that play, rousing, is the way that you build confidence and in interaction with another being. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the way you do it. And so we were talking a second ago about human to human, but like this is also part of the recommendation that I have for people uh, to overcome fear of dogs, like play, like yep. you, you play with dogs. Right. And a lot of people, they, their, their training does not involve enough play. Like even when they're playing, like they'll go, oh, I do free shaping. And that is play technically, but it it's not gonna, it's it, the kind of play I'm talking about is actual physical interaction, like actually physically interacting with the dog in play. Mm. That's how you learn how they move. That's how you learn the, you know what I mean? Like if you want to be confident with dogs, for example, who are the most confident people in the world with dogs? People that decoy Mm. like dudes that decoy take bites all day, all the time. They're super confident with dogs. And it's not because they're like the suit protects them. They're not. And they know they don't have the suit. So like, why would a decoy who wears a suit, out of the suit, be more confident because they have an innate understanding mm. what it's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, the timing, the pressure, how to move, they're gonna have to, to, yeah, everything. They're going to they're mm. going to know what they can do, what they can't do. They know what it's like to put too much pressure and back a dog down. They know what draws the attack. They know when it's going to go. It's going to go like this. They can kind of brace themselves for the feeling of like here it comes, and mm. I know where I, I can tell you where that dog's about to nail me, and my brain makes this physiological response to that area. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like when you're boxing, you've done this in boxing. They'll tell you the shot that you don't see coming is the one that hurts the most Mm. because your body physiologically prepares for damage. Do you know what I mean? So the shot that you see coming, even if it's not aware, even if it's not a conscious awareness thing, your body has, you know, done visovagal stimulation like you've flexed muscles you've you've shunted blood from the area into another air like there's a lot of deep shit that happens Mm. 
when mm. you are expecting damage. But if you have no idea where or when or how the damage is going to be, your body can't prepare. Yep. And so then you're like, and you just get super freaked the fuck out. People that wear suits all the time have a level of confidence with dogs that goes beyond. I'm pretty confident that I can whoop ass or whatever. Like it goes into this, like they under, that's what I was saying. The first step that I was talking about was understanding. Mm. They understand what it is to fight with a dog. Mm. Now they've worn suits and so they have not yet had the damage, but like, they understand their knowledge of it. Like they're like the guy on the high voltage lines that understands exactly what's going on and what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen if I touch this. I know what's going to happen if I touch that mm. and they're prepared. But um, And so that makes sorry. it more confident. But I was, was going to say like, for me, if you're not going to wear a suit, it's play because I get that through personal play and tug. Like you get the same benefits through personal play and through tug, mm. but people don't recommend it. They recommend it, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For fun. But it's like, no man, that is how you understand the being. That is how you know how to move and what to expect and what the timing is and what it feels like. That's how they learn how to have bite inhibition. And you know what it feels like when a dog clamps and like to play is essential for getting, gaining confidence. I think, mm. you know, I was just, um, sorry to my psychologist is kicking in the whole time. And, and the people that ask me questions, I always come back to, I think, as a dog professional, I love that analogy, but I think the reason why a dog bite startles a dog owner that the dog trainers consult with so much is because it is so unseen and they are so unaware of how deep that can go, right? Mm. Like that, like how you said, they are not prepared for this impact of that punch yeah. or that bite. And I think a dog owner who has you know, a family and just never thought so much about dogs, it hurts them even more, especially coming well, looking at it from the perspective of we, the common dog owner uses a dog as an extension of their self to express love, the yeah. good stuff, like, yep. right? So for them, that their, their yeah. precious puppy or precious dog attacks something is like not Ultimate just, betrayal. It's ultimate trust betrayal. It's mm. like they literally have to go through a relationship repair. Mm -hmm. And I really yes. like the analogy. And, and, and I think that if you are a dog trainer who has a customer who has this scenario, you really have to talk with them about, okay, you have broken trust in your relationship. So these are the steps. Mm. These are the steps you have to go through. Mm. And, and, you know, my, what comes to my head is that you actually educate yourself. So they have to learn to communicate, setting boundaries, understanding the person and the dog, like literally marriage counsel. Yeah. Yep. Like it, it's very yes. similar and you have to go for forgiveness towards yourself because you missed a lot of cues most likely mm -hmm. like you have yeah. you were tapping in the dark you had no connection no your love languages clearly were not there yep and mm. then you have to move forward mm. your life will change it won't be the same and you have to grieve very interesting points you're putting forward there's a lot of times like i've been with a lot of people who've been bitten from very mild to very badly i've also been on site when people have been bitten and I've seen people being bitten. I've seen decoys who have gotten too close to dogs when they've been agitating and, you know, being bitten on the hand or being bitten on the arm. I've seen a, a decoy that accidentally um, thought he had a sleeve on one arm and he got so involved in the performance and the agitation of the behavior that he put forward his unshielded arm and put it straight in the dog's mouth. Ooh. And yeah, I've seen some really crazy shit happen. So, you know, I mean, in 30 years of training and, and a long time of that involved in decoy work, it's like... Once upon a time in my life, I was an electrician. You're inevitably going to get zapped. So if you're working with mm. that with dogs or with that type of dog, doesn't matter whether you're working with dogs or not, or if you work with cats, you're going to get scratched. If you work with 
horses, you're, you're going to get bitten or kicked or bucked off. Something's going to happen. We try and avoid it actively as much as we possibly can, but it's occupational hazard the more you're around it. I agree. So, you know, the, the times where I've, where I've gone in and done consults with people and that is the conveyance that they do to me as a specialist, when they come up and talk to me about it, they say it is betrayal. You know, like I don't, I don't know if I can trust this dog again. But the the question that that we have to actually get to when we start unwinding everything or unpacking the whole conversation is why did it happen? You know, and that's the question that every person that gets bitten by a dog or even smacked by a person is why did it happen? You know, and Jay, I often refer. You know, one of the best things I ever heard when you come over was your explanation of the layered stress threshold, yes. and that's a lot of why people need to unpack what's going on. They really need to do a self-investigation of how did this actually happen? Like the shock sometimes when you're in trauma prevents you from asking critical questions like that. Or, it's just or, or, feeling. Or, yeah, that's right. And but it, but it really blocks people from forming a critical analysis of why did this actually happen? Like what did I contribute to it? The last episode where I talked about being bitten, you know, like Randy was going to bite me the other day. And he, he was going to bite me, you know. The, I mean, more pushing from me would have led to him biting me. He didn't want to do it. He just felt like I was limiting his options at that time. And he thought the best way for me to to reach my advantage now is to back you off by biting you. Now, me as as a handler, you know, I was being abrasive in my manner. I pushed the dog to, to the point. It's not that Randy... Uh, wanted to do it like I could actively see him giving me all the hallmark signals of saying dude I don't want to do this but you know you're going to earn a slap and I'm going to give you one and I thought to myself you know I'm putting the dog in a bad situation I need to stop being an asshole but stop being so impatient I need to you know check myself before I wreck myself and I did I, I thought you know I really owe the dog an apology but a lot of other people don't see that the act has happened the betrayal is felt and they kind of think there's no way of coming back from this now Let's say, for example, this dog is six or seven years of age, and this has never occurred before, but they're not asking themselves that question. They're not saying to themselves, what did I contribute to this fight? Why did a dog that's never bitten me in six or seven years suddenly bite me? What was the catalyst that caused this to happen? So, Jay, you know, I just want to flick back to you for a second because if you're comfortable to share it, in the conversation you were talking about how you were bitten in the face did he bite you in the face? Did yeah, he make yeah. contact with you? But yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Let, let's 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 unpack that a little bit and talk mm. about that. Have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, that was the those are the two times I remember dealing with it. Like I said, the time I got knocked out, it took me like two years to get past. And this was after, so I had a little bit of a better understanding about how to rebuild my head. Yep. Through the experience I had with that. But yeah, man, I took uh, had my dogs out, and uh, we got attacked by three off-leash dogs and I had my three dogs with me and this is the day I made the rule like never more than one dog in each hand for me like I'm never taking more than one dog in each hand because you just can't fucking juggle and we got jumped by like three off-leash dog off-leash dogs and it was this crazy fight and I wound up in the middle of it trying to separate dogs and was being attacked by other dogs, like getting bit in the back of my head and like the back of my legs. So like I was getting chewed up by other dogs and my two dogs had gotten into it with each other cause they were on leash and I wouldn't let go. And they were, you know, they had like redirected onto each other. Yep. Yeah. So I was separating them and getting bit by these other dogs and I wound up losing my footing and falling down in between them. Oh, shit. And Jack's ah. just gripped my face, like just, just gripped my face mm. and there's three dogs biting me biting him. So dogs are biting him. 
while he's on my face. So he's just stapling my face. Like it was his, my jaw was inside his mouth and like, he's just stapling me because he's being bitten Mm. and just like, he's just squeezing what he's got and like people pulled over and start running off the dogs. And then people are like literally like one at a time pulling dogs off of me. And this has gone on for who the fuck knows how long. I mean, it feels like forever, but it's probably like a minute, but Mm. that's still forever in a fight. Right. And like, I remember everybody got all the dogs taken away and I had to like stand up and hold him against my face because on the ground he would be pulling and it was just going to fuck my face up. So I had to hold him up so he didn't have any leverage to shake or thrash or pull. And then I had to just dead toy my face. Like I had to hold him still against my face for however long until he realized he kind of came back and realized it was me. Mm. And when he realized it was me, he would go and started pissing all over himself. Like he didn't, he wasn't attacking me he wasn't in his right mind yeah he had no idea dude like while i was in his mouth he was being bitten by dogs he was just like going for it yeah survival he had no awareness he had no awareness Mm. but even understanding that you still have that it was probably a good six months before i could kiss him on the like you know take kisses from him Mm -hmm. without like a knot in my stomach and like cotton mouth yeah. You know what I mean? Like every time I'd go to, and I love that dog and he loves me. And there mm. was no question that that was not malicious, but it didn't matter. Like that fucking face was right there. And you're just like, your butthole just clenches up and you're like, <laughs> fuck. You know what I mean? Like, please don't bite me, bro. You know, for sure. Like it took, it took a long time to get past that. Mm. You know, it took a long time to get past that. But again, it's that, it's that formula to me. It's understand it, like have a full understanding. What caused this? What was it? What what occurred? How can I set things up to avoid that? How could I better be more prepared for that? What could I have done differently? Like, what was the tactical mistakes that led to this occurrence, or the tactical signs that mm. could have prepared me ahead? So, like, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? What can I do better? Yeah. How can I understand this? And I had a full understanding of that immediately. As soon as it was going, I was like, this is all fucked. And I knew what I need to change. And I need to have this gear on the dog. And I need to never take more than two dogs. You know what I mean? Like immediately assess the situation and change tactics. No problem. And then it's like, okay, it wasn't a, I had to go through a whole bunch of that stuff. Like I said, play fighting with him and like not play fighting, but like personal play. And I had to start where he was nowhere near my head and like get accustomed to it and like start to have good experiences in the presence of his mouth. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're building your bank account to, up. Sorry, what's up? You're building your relationship bank account up. You, yeah. When the trust is broken, you have to build positive experiences up like a bank account that you go like, hey, there's some positivity and connection coming back in where I feel safe. And then like after that, it was just like the being smart. Like so when he would kiss my face, like when he would kiss me, I would have myself in a position where I could defend it if it happened, not because I thought he was, but just because it's like, look, if you know that if you touch this wire to this, like if this were to happen, like I put my seatbelt on, but I'm not terrified when I drive, Mm -hmm. but I put my seatbelt on, you know what I mean? Like I don't not put my seatbelt on. So for a few months, every time I was in proximity of a, every time I was in a situation where a bite may have been able to occur if things were to go badly, I would have my seatbelt on. I would have tactics in place to make sure that I was okay, which is what allowed me to have the confidence to experiment with this moment. I could have this moment with him because I was prepared. Mm. 
But if I wasn't prepared, I either wouldn't have the courage to have that moment or I would have that moment with fear and would set bad things in motion because I was behaving badly because I wasn't prepared, you know? Mm. But it kind of goes back to that thing I was saying. It's like, understand it, have a plan, do small, successively approximated desensitizations, Yep. get accustomed to it. And then with what you're left with, it's like, listen, what I'm left with is I love more than I'm scared. You know what I mean? Like, um, I accept the fact that these things are going to happen and they're the price of admission into this life. And so that's what it is. And I, you know what I mean? Ultimately it wasn't that bad and I'm going to continue to, to do the things that I'm going to do and I'll alter my plan to the best outcome that I possibly can. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? I just have to make peace with the fact that if you work with dogs, there is the unfortunate possibility that you may get bit mm. and I have to love more than I'm scared. So I focus on that. Like I've done everything I can do to give myself the best tactical chance. I've done everything I can do to prepare my mind for this possibility. Not just like hoping for the best, like I'm doing a desensitization program. Mm. I play in ways with dogs that let me better understand their timing. I work with them in ways that let me better understand everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I do all that I can do to set the best chance for success. I'm not just hoping and praying. I'm like setting a good chance for success. And then with what remains, it's like, look, it's out of my power. What remains after that is not up to me. And so I either am scared more than I love or I'm love more than I'm scared. If the scared outweighs the love, then I can't continue to do it. Mm -hmm. And if the love outweighs the scared, then I continue to do it. I really, really like that. And uh, it reminds me of a couple of difficult conversations I had in the past with clients and people. And I, the only thing that comes to my mind is also resources. You know, like if sometimes you have a scenario where a person really loves and it loves more than being scared, but the resources are not there to in, make it safe for the rest of the family, for mm. instance. Sure. Or, or yeah. like I think yeah. circumstances have a huge play on that. Like, like I think as soon as you are in a family system or in a, in a relationship, then it's not just your matter or your opinion if you love more than being scared. It's also, well, what about sure. the people in my life and the system and resources around me? Mm. And I think very often I've had a lot of people had intensive amounts of pain around it that they did love more than they were scared, but they just couldn't see it work. What a situation they were in and they had to make difficult calls then. Mm. That's math. You know what I mean? Like if you're in a situation where, it, like I said, the understanding, if you're in, like that to me speaks to the first part, it's like control what you can, you know, let go of what you can't and try to figure out what the difference is. Right. So like the first part is what is this? And if you're in a situation where I have like three kids under the age of five and they can't be controlled and the dog is wildly aggressive because of bad genetics or what, whatever the mathematical situation is, but it comes down to a thing. I love the shit out of this dog, but the math, it doesn't like when I go through the mathematical formulation of what are we, what risk category are we in? What is this? If that category is like, look, it is a neurologically broken animal in a situation with at risk people. Like it doesn't matter that I love them. It doesn't matter that I'm willing to do desensitization and all this shit. Like we can't do this. Like mm. this isn't, yeah, this isn't going to work out mathematically. Too. Like it's just not going to work. But once people go through that and go, yes, I look at it, it can be done safely. It, you know, it was a series of avoidable yeah. mistakes. It is a, it was a communication error. It was a layered mm. stress, whatever. Like, but once you've decided this is not 
an irreconcilable difference. This is like there was a cause and a reason and I can, I can deal with it. Mm. Then what we're left with is get your brain prepared for that by doing desensitization and counter conditioning. And then with what remains, the fear that you have remaining, you have to focus on the fucking love, man. You have yeah. to go yeah, like, well, sure. that, that's some know, sage advice. Jay. I yeah. I think that doing a bit of life math at the end of the day is really essential. And I just want to recap on something that you said earlier in the conversation about the lesson that you learn from it, essentially relating to conversations that I've had with clients in the past when we've sat down and we've either resolved it or we're in the process of resolving it. One of the pointers that I make to people is this is going to teach you a lesson regardless if you wanted it or not. And, you know, some of the greatest lessons I've ever learned in life come through my apathy, things that I've taken for granted, people that I've taken for granted, situations that I've taken for granted, you know, like when the outcome is not in your favor, it forces you sometimes to realize I wasn't paying attention. I really had my mind off the game at this point in time. You know, I really need to get back on track with remembering what I'm actually dealing with or where I am in the present moment. Because I think there's so many things that are distracting us from from living in the present. There's so many people that I talk to, you know, they're thinking about things that have happened in the past or they're thinking about things that could happen in the future. They're not invested in in being in the present moment. And I know that's easier said than done. We all sort of, we're a bit flippant about where we are in, in a timeline in our mind sometimes. But a lot of times when people are being bitten by their dog, it's because the same thing that, that was going on with Randy the other day, the, the pressure that I put him under and the situation it was in, it was the catalyst for creating a perfect storm. You know, never being bitten by my dog to a point where he was contemplating doing it. Now, a lot of people don't see these hallmarks. They're not trained professionals like we are. They haven't been through the process of working with tens or hundreds or thousands of dogs. They just don't understand this. So I don't blame them, you know, and that's one thing that I have to explain to people when I am sitting with them in consults is I don't judge you and say this is your fault. I'm not saying that you were fully aware of this happening. What I am saying is that what I'm trying to do is help you rebuild trust in the dog and also put you in a better position that if it was to happen again, it would be far more predictable and you could end it before it happened. And we also need to coach the dog that this is not a control mechanism going forward that biting you is a good outcome and this will easily rectify the situation. What we have to teach the dog is there's a better list of alternatives in its behavioral outcomes. You know, it is modifying behavioral outcomes on both aspects from the handler's perspective and also on the dog's. Mate, yeah, really sage advice from from both you guys. It's been really good. I'm curious what Birdie thinks about something I was about to say. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Try me. (laughs) (laughs) You know how I was saying, like, I think, the lack of play fighting is a big life skill that's missing yeah. for a lot of people. I think something, and I don't know if I'm going to describe this right, because I have a feeling if I say it the way I want to say it, you're going to go like, no, I disagree. But that's okay. I feel like people think their emotions mean too much. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think people use their emotions as evidence of things. Like, they'll go like, I'm offended at what my dog did. And then when you try to talk to them about what happened or how they're, what, what we need to do, they'll use their offense as evidence of something or they'll go, I'm scared of that. Or I'm mad at Johnny. Why are you mad at Johnny? He made me feel stupid. 
Yeah. Well, was he trying to make you feel stupid? No, he must have been trying because I feel stupid, you yeah. see. Like, they use their feelings. Like, they, they put so much fucking importance. Nobody has the skill. Not nobody. Most people don't have the skill of letting emotions wash. Like, I describe this to students all the fucking time. I go, look, your emotions are not you. Your emotions are the weather. You are the house. The emotions are the weather that pass over your house. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I like understand. you have to deal with it. You have to fix your roof when it's fucking raining real hard. But like you are not your emotions. You are feeling angry. You are not anger. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I when agree. you're when it's cold, you're like, man, it's cold outside. You don't go. I am like my house is the snow. Like the snow is happening to your house. You got to have a heater. You got to have your shit squared away. When it's hot, you got to have an air conditioner or whatever. Like you got to deal with things. But they don't let they don't know how to let their emotions pass. Like if their emotions hit them, that's why I have a like, job, Jay. That's fine. <laughs> but but do you understand why that is? Do you want me to explain you the mechanism why that is? Why that is the phenomena that you explain it to me? I mean, I, yeah, I'd love to hear your explanation. I think I know, but I'd love to hear. Well, a I don't know. If, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's up. true, but but I agree with you. Like I I don't disagree with you on this. I agree with you. Ah, so. Nice really on the same page with you. And I think that we talked on it in the last podcast a little bit. I think what's happening is that people are unaware that what triggers them in the moment is very, and their emotional response is very often not the emotional response to that trigger. It's very often linked to an accumulation of past triggers. So for mm. instance, when they read into a scenario or a trigger, a trigger as in their emotional response is too high for that stimulus that they're represented with. Mm is because they are unaware of their conditioning in life. So if you have vulnerabilities in your life or you have blind spots from your ego in your life, or you're telling yourself stories, who you are, what you should be, and your ego is highly activated, you react in this blindness of an emotional storm nearly. I mean, what I mean by that is that you are not aware that the way you react says more about you and what you have to work on than the trigger in front of you. Yes. So, 100% agree with that. so every trigger, every stimulus in your life, what people maybe can work on is going like every trigger is a teacher, shows me where my ego is at, where my wounds are at, where I need healing, what I need to work on. But people are always portraying the other person as the, as the focus of their attention rather than going like, no, that's the teacher, I'm the student. I only have control over how I respond in life. And the emotion is an indicator of how you have to work on things, whether that is anger or joy or anything. Mm. And in the end, the goal in life is that you're quite centered, that you're quite calm in life, that you can go like, I can see my anger rising, I can see my disappointment or my resentment rising, but how I respond to that, that is how my healing is happening. That is who, mm. who I can grow. And I like the, the analogy with play fighting. Like I grew up play fighting. I, got, I also got sent to the principal's office a few times for not handling my anger too well. Vicious bird. Yeah. No, yeah. but I went to a really rough school. We had knives. I had knives at my throat and drugs and Good police. Lord. Like, yeah, I went to a really rough school. Yeah, I, it taught me a lot in life. I can punch, but yeah. I don't want to punch. But what I do think is that people think that emotions validate their situation and that's not true it validates what they have to work on in life and very often it is a very important navigator i think emotions are like a light torch in the dark that show us hey this is happening right but just because you have awareness of it doesn't mean that you have to go forward with it 
my description of it to people is like, there's, there's like a bridge, right? Like, like emotions. And I know that there's neurological back neuroscientific backup for this, but it's like emotions can create thoughts and thoughts can create emotions. There's like a neuro, there's like a feedback loop between sure, the you two. create your reality. You can have a, what's that? You create your reality. Like, yeah, but you can have a, you can have a thought and then the result of that thought can be an emotion. Like you could go, Oh, you remember that time and have a thought. And then because of the thought you'll have an emotion mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you can have an emotion and emotions will just create thoughts. Like you could have a, see a scary movie and feel scared. And then the scare that, then that will start you thinking about things. But the problem is people don't control the bridge between those two things, their thoughts and their emotions. They don't, they, they have no control over that bridge. So if they have a thought, an emotion will just happen and that emotion will create another thought and that thought will create another emotion and that emotion will create another and thought and they will just spiral themselves into a toilet of like bad thought, bad feeling, bad thought, bad feeling. Totally. That's how, that's for example, that's, you know, very often when we talk, for example, about generalized anxiety disorder, an event mm -hmm. triggered this constant loop of thought, emotion, thought, emotion to the point that it's debilitating. Yes. Everyone has, has a weakness in their life, Right. But what my job very often is, is just to teach people, you have to have awareness, you have to learn to look at you from an outsider's perspective and just take a step back. You know, like a, th a thought is not a fact, a thought is not a truth all the time. Yeah. So neither is an emotion. Like yeah, I, I, I get really broken down for the people because I wind up putting a lot of people through these paces and it's like, that is my focus is... You control that bridge between thoughts and feelings. Mm. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean a feeling has to pop up. Like I tell people all the time, this is <laughs> when they come back to the corner, this is something that happens in, in between rounds of fights. The One of the mantras I'll tell people is you can assess, but you can't judge. They'll come back to the corner and they're all pissed off. I, I was blowing this move and I kept screwing this up and he's hitting me with this and he's all upset. And I'm like, listen, stupid, like assess don't judge. Give me facts. Give me math. Give me thoughts. Tell me what is happening. You got hit with this. You messed this up. This is what we need to do. Give me facts. Facts have no feelings. Like they're just math. Numbers have no feelings. Just give me math. Like assess. Don't judge. Like there will be time for emotions later. Later on after the fight's over in the shower, I'm going to give you 15 minutes and you can feel all the feels you want. Mm -hmm. But right now it's math. Right now there's no feeling. There's only math, you know? And then, okay, then they can go, okay, well, this is what I need to do and focus on it. But it's like, to me, that ability to control that bridge between thoughts and emotions is like one of the most important skills in life. It is. And that's what it is. I mean, it's that's a tool, that's right? That's your culture, though. That, to me, is like everything is that. Like, that's what you get drilled into your head from the time you're a kid. Like, you can't get mad when you fight. Like, you have to think, you know? So it's a tool All that, that works for fighting. So, so what we do have to raise awareness right now is that this is a specific tool for a specific situation. So in other situations, you would need a very different tool in, in, in a relationship. You need to be empathetic and you need to fucking feel mm. right. Like you can't, a, a of course, but I control that. I think it's the awareness. Yeah. Like yeah. I think to me, I understand the analogy between the bridge and the, the thought and the emotion. And I, mm. I kind of need to ponder on it. I do think it's really important that you know when you are on that bridge, when you cross. Mm. Like for me, it's yes. really important that you know where you stand on it and then you decide where you hard, go. The hard part about the analogies, right, and my insistence on that control or like the weather passes over and it doesn't affect you is people always assume 
that that means I'm leaning towards non non emotion, like some kind of, you know, don't feel it, whatever. Uh, But like that analogy of the weather, right? Like, man, the weather passes over my house. It does not define my house. It's not who I am. But you need the weather. But you need the weather. But I can choose to go outside and dance in a rainstorm if I want to. Mm. I can go feel as much as I want, but I don't have to. You have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I can go outside and dance in the rain, dude. It's not like I'm saying rain bad. Don't feel feels. Feels are bad. But you know me, Brad. I do. Know, I, 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 I like you very much home. because you're very comfortable with emotions. But I think yeah. to me, the next step would be go higher and go like you need to acknowledge that you actually do need the weather to be okay. So now it's the right amount Absolutely. of dosage, mm. right? Like now it Absolutely. comes out. What like how often do you go out in the rain? How often do you go outside and and learn that? Like yeah. I just feel like most people just get pulled. Most people are sitting directly outside of their house, defining themselves by the weather they're experiencing. Like they just, they don't understand. You don't have to feel that. that. Like you can stop that. You know what I mean? Like I can be in the middle of some of the deepest feelings. I can be emoting and crying and like, I could just fall on your shoulder and share memories with you and we could have this moment. But at any given time I could flip that switch and handle business and have them out. You could go, Hey, my turn. And I could turn it off and now listen to you and not be running my own bullshit through my head. Like I could just, you practice. I can go like, okay, now's my time. Now's not my, like, (laughs) it's what I do with the dogs. Like now's when we play. Now's not when we play. Now you're doing obedience. Now you're running loose. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you got to be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. That's something that kills me about dog training is people, demand so much of these animals and don't do it themselves. Yep. Yeah. Like they yep. want their dog to develop full emotional control, but you're not willing to, you want your dog to let go of the urge to fucking maul a cat, but you can't let go of the urge that you feel disrespected because your dog broke the down. <laughs> Come on, man. That is a really good point. I've been listening with intrigue over the last couple of minutes, listening to you guys volley back and forth on this because there is, well, I think the conclusion to this is that we've, pretty much discovered that it's not an easy topic. It's not just something that just goes away on a dime. The experience for me as a person, not let's remove the consultant or the dog trainer side of it. This, the experience for me as a human being is that, you know, Bertie, you made a point of it before saying that Jay's much more disciplined than other people. And one thing that I found when I'm dealing with dogs and people is the discovery of thresholds. You know, one thing that a person can handle emotionally or tactically can be absolutely devastating to somebody else. And I think some of the most damaging words that you can say is just get over it because some people just can't, they can't just dump it like that. Even though you know that in your own coping mechanisms, that would be the best thing to do. And at some stage they, I'm trying to paraphrase this right. And I guess it comes from the quote from Morpheus in the matrix, the original first movie when he's trying to talk to Neo about accepting the whole principle of what the matrix is. And he says to him, all I can do is show you the door. You have to choose to walk through it. And Mm. that's something that as professionals, Bertie in your profession, Jay in yours and, and me in mine, this is something that I've had to do a lot with people. I can explain to them what something feels like. Let's say for example, touching something. I could explain to them what it feels like and what it looks like and what what it feels like in your hand. But until they touch them themselves, like they might say, oh yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. But until they actually touch it themselves and they're going, oh, now I know exactly what you're, you're doing. But it takes them to actually put their hand out, grab it and feel it in their hand and feel what it actually feels like. And I mean, I've sat with people before where 
you know, dog bites have occurred either to them or to their children or to another family member or somebody outside. And we've had these these conversations. And some people have sat down and they've been very analytical and they've had past experiences where they've been able to say, yep, I get it. And they've been able to move on from an experience where some people just can't shake it. You know, like if they have been able to shake it, it might be in part, it might not be conclusive to it where they can totally get over it. It might just be in part where they've had to make some sort of compromise to be able to deal with it. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. It is a very yeah, deep topic. It's a very, like this is a rabbit hole and it, yeah. you know, it's a conversation that, that could go on with different groups of people in different directions and and still have a similar outcome. But, you know, like I said, the conclusion is that it, it isn't so clear cut for people that do have discipline, they do have training and they do have clarity of mind or relative experiences. Yeah, you, you can sort of draw simple conclusions to it. But again, you know, in in something that I've revisited before, this is like somebody who is a master in, in a particular field looking back at a novice and thinking, why don't you get it? And I think that's, sorry that I, I say that because it resonates so well with me because I think if people learn to not react mm. and look at the facts and the truth, like for example, I have so much respect for Jay because he's like, it took me a while to recover from the first punch when you were mm. knocked out, right? So the wisdom there mm. is then knowing, hey, I need to heal and I give myself that time to heal because healing's usually messy. Mm. Like we, despite knowing, hey, I don't want to react to my emotions or my thoughts, not doing that is a whole nother story. So I think the message you is- also help. You need help. You, you need to reach out. Yeah, that was where I was heading, and I love that you point yep. me towards that. Is that that you go like, "Hey, reach out, talk to people who have been through this." You know, there's no shame in this. It takes as long as it takes. All you can do is put one step after the other and go in the right direction. Mm, absolutely. There was a there hey. was a very particular moment in the fight where the bubble broke and it finally went away. And it wasn't just like a moment. That sounds like a moment, but it wasn't like this magic moment. There was a shit ton of work mm -hmm. for years, like visualization. And I would watch movies of uh, movies. I would watch videos of fights that I had been in where I'd performed well and taken shots to remind myself, like, look, you're seeing evidence to the contrary. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there was a lot of actual work that I tried to put in, but I remember like the moment when it, broke and it was like uh mandy <laughs> this is not gonna this is not gonna be the cool story everyone wants it to be it's it should it should be way less terrible than this but i was in a fight in uh in it was fighting josh near second round versus josh near and i had taken him down a couple times because that's what i generally like to do but also when i was worried about my jaw i was taking people down to avoid punching so you might not know it from the outside. I looked really aggressive because I was like rad and doing takedowns. But Mandy knows me and knows that that was still me avoiding a thing. Not doing it because it was tactically the best decision, but because I was like, shit, I shouldn't be in this other spot. And in between the first round and the second round, she came out and she says, if you try one more takedown, I'm leaving you here. And I was like, well... Here's the here's the moment. It's time to do this. So I'm it was like that up. was the line in the sand moment. But it's, I mean, she didn't do that the second week after. She did it two years after. You know what yeah, I mean? But that's you had a but friend who like and you, you she had someone who loves you, really know you really mm. well and pushed you in the right moment. Mm. Like that's wisdom. 
and yeah, experience. Yeah. They had to find that. She had to find that moment. Had she done that three fights before, it would have been uh, to the end. It would have been terrible. You know, it's really incredible, isn't it? And quite devastating at what a borderless prison the mind can be sometimes. Mm. <sighs> oh my Brutal. god, sure is. Like the the situations that we get put in or allow ourselves to put in or even place ourselves in sometimes is quite distressing. Yeah, mm. and the, the key thing in yeah. understanding is that you put yourself in that prison. Yeah, but that's where I come back with that quote with, with Morpheus. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like when you talk to people, sometimes you can give them all the facts. You can lay out experience. You can talk about what other people have, well, other similar experiences other people have shared in themselves. But until that person is willing to accept that, like Jay, yourself, when you're talking, and this is why I wanted you on this podcast today. I wanted both you guys here is when you and I were having that conversation and you were telling me about your experiences both in the in combat and with the dog, I thought we have to share this. We have to tell people what this is about because so many people are going through this trauma at the moment. You know, there is – and it was incredible with the amount of reach-outs that I had from people where they were talking about their issue and I thought, you know, what better to do to have two people, one who deals with it in client base and another person who's dealt with it themselves and can share mm-hmm. that that full life experience where – you know, you had both your own dog bite you and it took you time to recover and you've been in a situation of, you know, like a chosen sport where it really fucked you up for a period of time. And people need to hear stories like this. I mean, part of a healing or part of, I think part of acceptance of it is you still have to accept it in your own self, but hearing that other Mm -hmm. people who have gone through this and felt uh, the fear and the range of emotions, I think that's quite an experience sometimes as well. One of the most important things, before we get off of this yeah. is for people that are going through that to hear like you're not broken. You're not broken. You're not a coward because you're feeling those feelings. Mm. Like that is a hundred percent normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Yep. It's you know a normal I mean? reaction. Like, there's nothing to wrong with you. We got to rebuild it. We got to fix it. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, we, we've got some, we've got some building to do. You know what I mean? Like the, the, it is, it is understandable. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Yeah. I love that. And that that took, that was, that took a long time for me to figure out was a very important missing part Mm. because most people are so full of shit with, you know, you talk to most people and they're like, I'm not scared. Or like, even when they're struggling with something, you go, how are you doing? They're like, "Ah, I wasn't hard. It kills me. Tattoos don't hurt shit like that. Like they just like, they just lie to you because Mm. they don't, it's like the fucking emperor has no has new clothes. You know what I mean? Like everybody's all in the same bullshit, so they all just pretend about the same bullshit. Happened to me. It was probably like my thirteenth or fourteenth fight, where I thought, like a pro fight, not street fight, right? Like professional fight. I thought something was wrong with me because I was so scared, and it was like it was brutal. I'd puke. I, I couldn't eat breakfast mm. the day of the fight. Like mm. just super anxiety and like hated myself so much self-loathing because of the amount of fear that I had you know what I mean because like I shouldn't be like that like if I'm this person I think I'm supposed to be like I shouldn't have this feeling like look at those guys they don't have that feeling look at that guy he don't have you know what I mean like Mm. fuck is wrong with me like why am I such a coward every time I fought I would look in the mirror and I would tell myself just shut your mouth and do this one time and you don't ever have to do it again. I ne- I didn't, I did not make that deal <laughs> for the first dozen fights. It was like, just do it. One- just go shut up and do this. And then I'll never make you do it again. Like you don't ever have to do this again. Just get through this and you don't ever have to do it again. And I hated it. I hated myself for that. God was sitting backstage 
Jeremy Horn, this guy from way back, if anybody ever follows this shit, he'd had like 300 something fights, legit. And he would fight like every weekend. Like the guy was the most prolific fighter that ever lived in MMA. And he was like, he had a fight two weeks ago and he's fighting in another week and he's backstage like the coolest motherfucker you've ever seen. He's eating Skittles and drinking grape Kool-Aid backstage. Like, doesn't give a fuck. Like, just doesn't give a fuck. And I'm trying hard not to be scared. I'm trying to just, just, just don't let it out. Just like deny, 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 right? Like deny. And then you feed it. Then you just feed it so much. Oh, so bad. So bad. But then he looks at me. I look up at him. I'm cool. And this dude who's got 300 something fights, he's like the, the most prolific dude that ever lived, the essence of willing and not scared. And he looks at me, goes, this is the worst part, isn't it? Mm. And I was like, I felt like somebody was trying to trick me into something. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's the worst part, isn't it? This part. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and there's all these famous dudes backstage. Like Matt Hughes was backstage and like all these dudes were there. And like, I think it was Matt Hughes that was like, I know, man, like if somebody pulled up right now and said, let's go, I would just drop everything and run away. And I'm like, this has got to be a fucking joke, right? Like you guys are kidding, you know? And then everybody starts talking all the, everybody in the back room starts talking and they're like, oh, you remember that time? So-and-so almost passed out. Oh, Jason throws up every single fight and everybody's like, dude, is he okay? And he pukes his guts out (laughs) backstage because I'm never doing it again. And I remember that. Because this kid, Jason Black, has like had 20-something fights undefeated in Japan. Like He was a monster. And they were like, yeah, he throws up and cries and swears he's never going to do it again every single fight. And I was just like, my mind was blown. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, everybody? And they're all just like, yeah, dude, everybody. And we just do it anyway. And I was like, oh. And that sense of freedom of like, there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. Like, this is what it is. It's not... I should be feeling other things and I'm not. So what's wrong with you? Like, this is what you feel. It didn't make me not scared. I was always terrified to fight. It didn't make me not scared. It just made me stop thinking I was broken. You know what I mean? Like that bridge, like not going like this means something. This fear creates these, like you feel it and you go, yeah, it's raining outside. So what? I'm going to go do my thing. It's the absolute acceptance of not putting any judgment towards it and no value. Well, not any. Yes. Good or bad, it mm. just is. Dude, it's just raining. It's not a big deal. It's just raining. <laughs> I got to make sure my shingles are fixed, and I got to make sure that you know my windows are rolled up. But it's just fucking rain. It's not a big deal, you know. When, listening to you talk about that, Jay, brought me back on an experience, a very similar experience I had when I was a kid, and I was competing in the state championships in taekwondo. And there was a guy that I used to spar with. He was older than me and he was a, like far more talented than I was at, at Taekwondo. He's a guy called Gary Shoemaker. And this guy, he was fast and powerful and he'd whoop your ass. Mm. Like his moves were incredible. He was lightning fast, very, very quick. And I mean, he could put his foot through your head in no time at all. You know, like he was that quick and, and a guy with amazing, amazing talent. And there was a side of me that was scared to spar with him because he always got touched up when you were fighting with Gary. But one of the amazing things is I learned more about combat from Gary at the time in the sport because I learned how to recover quickly. And I mean, he was, he was actually, even though he was a, a fellow student, he was also a good coach at the time. He was a, he was a kind hearted guy, but just brutal with combat. And I remember the time that it was in Victoria, we were doing the Victorian championships and he was in the toilet puking his guts out like crazy. And I was only a young kid at the time. I think I was 15 years old and I was shitting myself. Like I'm thinking if yeah. Gary Schumann, 
shoemaker is in here puking and shaking and trembling like a leaf. How the fuck am I going to go? And unfortunately, that did put a negative taint in my mind. Like I was thinking, this is a guy I look up to. This is like my combat hero and he's in here. But the one thing that I took away from it is exactly what you said. I learned that this is a normal process in life because Gary went out and he took out gold medal. It was like a K7 or whatever they call it, where it was just, you know, like you start with 10 guys and you work down to five and, and so on and so on. So it's sure. a, it's a round robin fighting. Gary cleaned up everyone. Like he, he knocked he knocked most of his opponents out. He was just a brutal tactician yeah. and a very good fighter. And I recall that and I look back at it. I took silver. I, I, I got disqualified in the last round for hitting a guy in the face. It was a good fight, but I was still so nervous. Not only was I nervous yeah. about having the fight, but I was also nervous about watching Gary so rocked by it. But that also taught yeah. me, as you said, when you're talking about that whole experience, that this is a normal part of life. You know, when you are experiencing things like this, going into combat or working with dogs or coming, you know, clawing your way back from these things, you're not going to come through this undamaged. You're not going to come through this with a little seed in the back of your mind that says, you know, like, remember when this happened last time or remember how this felt. You know, some of the most experienced people that I know who have taken some bites from dogs, it retrains them and it reshapes who they are and how they're going to deal with the situation, which is some of the things that I've respected for people who have climbed back up on the horse. And, you know, to use a, a metaphor, there's people who have who've got back on the horse and I've looked at it and I've said, so in your experience, how would you best describe it? And they've just said, I've learned how to do it differently. I've learned how to reshape how I actually go into this now. So yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate you guys sharing all this stuff on this and hopefully that yeah. people have listened to it and had to endure the, this themselves and have been rocked by it. One of the points that you closed with before, Jay, where you said you're not a coward and it's not your fault and, you know, these things can be overcome, they can be and it's just going to have to take the time it's going to have to take. Yeah. And don't be frightened about speaking with people. You know, no, talk, talk, you, you, you know, you're not an idiot and people are not, you know, some people on the internet, you're not going to get the gratification you're looking for from them. There's some people who I do agree with the fact that you have to be mindful about who you're discussing it with because there's some very judgmental people on the inter- internet who don't know the backstory of it. But, you know, there are some very good safe people to speak to. You guys are definitely high on that list of people that, that I definitely recommend people reach out to professionals like yourself. Nonetheless, it, it still needs to be discussed. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It well, was so yeah, much fun. Know. Thank it was you fun. so much. Yeah, and we're going to have to conclude it there because I do have to get back to work. But, Jay, before we go, are you still doing any lessons? Are you still working with people? Yeah, yeah. Things are more back to normal now. Club practice is back on on the weekends. If you're around Maine and you want to come out and do club, it's uh, it's on Saturdays. You can get in touch with us on Facebook. I'm doing online consults. If you want to get in touch with me for that, go to uh, nextleveldogs at gmail.com and we'll get you on the schedule. And that's it. Seminars are screwed for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, but, uh, we, we're losing you uh, in August, as soon which as is they're a shame. Back, everybody's waiting to reschedule. So soon as they're back, we're going to have a full a full docket. So just keep your eyes peeled for it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people looking forward to having you back in Australia, as am I. Yes. Can't wait mm. to have you back here. Yeah. Mm. I have to come back out there, man. Yeah. Yes, we miss you. Bertie, anything to conclude with? <laughs> no, I just love the TCP community. It's always great to discuss. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate both of you making the effort to be here today. It was sad that Pat couldn't be here, but as I said, his priorities were looking after his dog and all of us being Nailed dog it. people, we respect that yes, entirely. Totally. 
So looking forward yeah. to speaking with Pat next week. It's but, always a good excuse to have me back so I can talk to Pat, right? Oh, mate, you're welcome. Like you and Birdie are, you know, show regulars. Yeah, we love having you guys podcast, on the show. I'm honored to be on it. You guys are the, my favorite podcast. Thanks, mate. That means a real lot. It really does. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. Please share, rate, like, subscribe from whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, you can do that through Patreon, whatever tier that you want to join. It starts from 3 bucks a month right up to 10 20 whatever. Pat's going to put out a really interesting process on how he taught a behavior where he's teaching Remy to run around like a platform in a park that he's in, but he's showing the whole process from start to finish, all the mistakes, everything he did how he started the behavior, how he successively approximated the dog into the behavior. Absolutely fantastic. I've seen snippets of it. I'm looking forward to watching the whole thing. That's coming in on the July Patreon episode. So I'm sure you're going to look forward to that. Another way you can support the show is Teespring. We've got some great designs there that Avery has done for us, including the new Mind Blown design. So check that out for yourselves. Hey, I forgot to say. Oh, yeah. I'm an idiot for not having said this, but... Yeah, that defensive tactics workshop that I started doing. It's just it's been so long since we've had seminars, I forgot to mention it. But that's like kind of one of the ways I was trying to help people with the tactical part of this. Like because some of it is understanding like how do you deal with a dog biting you? You know yep. what I mean? So that's something that we have out. If you guys are interested in that, just get in touch with us and we'll hook you up. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Terrible, terrible business. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's fine. At least I heard it on the show now. All right. So All thanks, right. guys. That's it. And I'm going to tell myself to put my own music on. That's not it. <laughs> oh, so much love for you too. So much love.